Hey guys, today on the podcast got Drew Mitchell, former Queensland Reds winger, Western Force winger, and New South Wales Waratahs winger. He also played in three World Cups for the Wallabies on the wing. He's also played in, for Toulon in France. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast today. What did you want to be when you were growing up? Um, I, you know what? I, I think it, like a lot of probably kids, um, it changed quite a lot. I think there was, um, I mean, I was... Um, I'm the youngest of three boys, so sport was always something that um, was really big in my family, and we, we tried many different sports and, and that type of thing. So I think wanting to be a sportsman um, was always there or there thereabouts. I also I think at one point I wanted to be like a marine biologist. At one point, um, what else did I want to be? Like it changes quite a lot, but I think the one consistent for me was I always wanted to be involved in sport. It's something that I really loved. And I played, like I said, many different sports, mostly rugby league growing up uh, and little athletics. Um, I didn't start playing rugby union until I went to secondary school at 13 at St. Pat's up there in, um, in Brisbane and Shorncliffe. So, uh, but yeah, always heavily involved in sports. I think, um, I think everyone sort of, well, anyone who plays sport as a young kid always probably dreams of becoming a professional uh, sportsman or woman. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess... Yeah, I was pretty lucky that it came true for me. Yeah, what sports did you play as a kid? Rugby league, yeah, little athletics. League. Um, I played rugby league, little athletics. Uh, my, my, so my father was in the army, so we moved around quite a lot. Uh, there was a time where he was posted down to Victoria at an army barracks called Pakapangil. Uh, and there wasn't any rugby league or rugby union really available at that time. So I played um, AFL for three years and... Uh, I wasn't very good at that. I, I mean, I, I used to chase around and get the ball pretty well, but I, I wasn't so good at kicking, which is probably evident later on in my career as well. It's never a, a strong tool of mine. But um, what else did I play? I played at school, I played um, volleyball. Uh, what, I wasn't much of a cricketer. I didn't have the eyesight for cricket, so I stayed away from that. Um, wasn't much of a swimmer. Nothing really, always on the land, nothing too much in the water. I even did little, um, sorry, life-saving, so life-saving for a few years when uh, we were based at Manly. Um, but I always just liked all the, all the events on, on land. So, all the, you know, the flags where you lay down and you run and chase the little um, hose and, and the beach sprints. But I didn't really like going out into the waves too much. So um, yeah, anything really where I could uh, just be on land and run around, it was always pretty comfortable. Yeah. How would your oldest friend describe you? Oh, um, I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I guess what you hope for is um, that he would say that I was loyal, um, that I, uh, you know, trustworthy, uh, but at, at the same time also, uh, you know, can, um, good sense of humour, can have a bit of a laugh. I always, so, basically my first mate at secondary school um, was David Ingram. Um, we go by, he, he goes by the name of Chicken and he was my first mate I made at, at secondary school and he's still um, someone I'm really close with and basically speak to every day. Um, and yeah, and I'd, so I'd say that, um, yeah, I mean, if he was to say that I was trustworthy, loyal and, uh, and could have a good laugh, then I'd be pretty happy with that. Yeah. What are you most proud of in life and career? Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's, that's tough. I think probably the one I'm, I'm most proud of is um, the relationships I have. So um, with my family, uh, mum and dad and my two older brothers and extended family with, you know, my sister-in-laws. And so both my brothers are married with three kids. They're both in the army as well. So um, I'm a little bit behind in terms of, um, I don't know, I guess life milestones because so, I don't have a partner or, or kids just yet. So, um, but hopefully that's on my horizon. But 
Um, yeah, I, I think what I'm most proud of is those um, relationships and friendships. So, like I said, with friends of mine from school that I'm still really close to and speak to every week. But then also the, the friendships I've forged through rugby as well is something that, um, you know, I, I hold really dear to me and, and something that I'm really proud of. But then I think if, if I was to look at uh, professionally, um, I don't know, I think probably just the way that, um, the way I've probably more, more about the way I've gone about my work rather than what it is that I've achieved or haven't achieved. It was more just, um, yeah, I, I guess the way I've gone about things. And hopefully, you know, one thing I, I always wanted when I stepped away from the game was for people to speak um, highly of me and, and to, to have, um, you know, nice words to say about me. Um, as opposed to the opposite. So if I've, if, I've, if I've achieved that, then that's what I'm most proud of. I definitely speak highly of you. Oh, thank you, mate. Cheers. <laughs> you would, how do you handle hard times? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's difficult, right? Sometimes it's, it's harder than others and, and everyone's, everyone's pain and hardships are, are different. So just because someone's going through something and they find it really hard and you've been through the same thing and you don't find it as hard doesn't necessarily mean to say that they're weaker. It's just everyone's perception of pain or hardship is different and we have to take that into account. Um, so for me, sometimes, you know, whether it be relationships breaking up or getting dropped from the Wallabies or, um, you know, getting in trouble for my parents when I was growing up for not doing my room, anything like that, that um, seemed like something really bad at the time. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess the, the way I always went through it was just try to find the positive in it, um, understand that those times and never going to last. So, you, you know, there's one saying that I guess I've always sort of, that's run through to me is um, like good times never last, but neither do the bad times, if that makes sense. So, yeah. you know, if you remember the, the time where you were your most happiest or all that, or the proudest or the most fulfilled. Unfortunately, those times don't last, but that also means then the opposite of that is the times where you've felt the most pain or the most upset or the most embarrassed. It means that those times aren't going to last always um, yeah. for a long period of time either. So if you can kind of keep that mentality, just like get around, support yourself with people who are close to you, friends and family, people that make you happy, people that support you regardless, um, then you'll know that uh, at some point you'll be able to get through whatever that hardship is. Yeah. And, uh, and, and then you'll look back on it as a learning. So, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's sometimes it's difficult to look at that when you're in the moment. Um, but if you can kind of, just take that moment to step back a little bit, understand that it's not going to be forever, uh, support yourself, uh, surround yourself with people who support you, then you'll be fine. Yeah. Before we get into like serious questions, my uncle yep. has a couple questions for you. Sure. Well, what was it at Mad Monday at Rudy Vedgalo's house? Oh, Vedlago? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, so that was back when I was playing for um, University of Queensland. Yeah. Uh, in the first grade there. And um, big Rudy Vitalago was the second row partner of Nathan Sharp at the time. But um, I think, well, see, I, I was quite young then. I was only sort of 18, 19 years old. So, um, you know, sort of playing up there with the big boys was, was new to me. And then also going on a mad Monday with those guys was, um, was new. But it's, I think it, it's one of those things where... Guys, you know, when your season's finished and you've been able to celebrate, um, uh, you know, a lot of hard, like hard times at training and wins and losses and good and bad and all that sort of stuff, you get to kind of just have one weekend when it all finishes where you can kind of just get dressed up in something quite silly um, and then share a few drinks and enjoy uh, and, you know, tell a few stories about the year. But um, some stories are probably better left unsaid. <laughs> he also said you are a good hedging Okay, yeah, that was um, some silly behaviour back in the day where 
um, where Rudy had some nice, nicely groomed garden edges in his uh, in his house, and we just felt that it was a nice, almost like a nice uh, high jump mat, if you like. So we jump into these hedges, but that's <laughs> not something I do any anymore these days. It hurts too much when you when you get back out of the bushes. You also said, how has it gone being vegan? Oh no! So I tried. I tried it um, last year. So I think there was, you know, I mean, a lot of people. There's been a lot of uh, dialogue spoken about people and the, the benefits of going plant-based, and um, you know, whether it be vegan or even vegetarian, whichever one. Uh, and I heard a lot of people talking about it. And my, I guess, your reaction, your your initial reaction is to judge, right? Like I'd be like, why would you do that? You know, but I was basing that judgment on nothing because I'd never tried it, never experienced it, didn't know whether it was good or whether it was bad, never researched it. So. I always like to speak of something. If I have an opinion about something, I need to speak from a point of experience. So I thought to myself, before I start judging other people for doing it, then I'll do it myself. And um, so I committed to doing it for one month and then I ended up doing it for six months because I was enjoying it. Um, I felt like it took me a little while to understand where I was getting my energy and my protein and that type of thing because it was new to me. But once I kind of got to understand that and research a little bit more, um, and I was able to uh, accommodate a, a, a diet that could help with what I was needing in terms of my training and, and everything else. Then, uh, yeah, I mean, I found it really um, beneficial, to be honest. I lost, I lost a fair bit of excess weight, weight that I didn't necessarily need. Uh, I had all the energy I needed to train. Um, but I think at the end of it, it was just... Uh, so I stopped just the week before Christmas um, because I didn't think I could sit at the Christmas table and have all that beautiful food and uh, and only just dip into the vegetables. So No one can. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly right. So, um, but it, yeah, I mean, it, I think it'd be something again that now what I've done is I, I, I do eat meat at times, but I also have days where I just eat, um, you know, plant-based stuff as well. So I think like anything, it's about having a balanced diet. People will argue that you should go all the way vegan. Some will argue that you need meat every day. I just think it's all about balance. And if you find yeah. the right balance for you, then that's perfect. Yeah. That was David Croft, by the way. Oh, yeah, nice. Yeah, that's he's my <laughs> uncle. Anyway. Oh, good stuff. Was it hard moving all the time? And also after uh, that, was it also hard to move from France to France? Um, well, you know what? I think um, so. My professional career, I had four years at Queensland Reds, three at Perth for the Force, four at the Waratahs, and then went to France for four years. But uh, but in many ways, it it. Um, it paralleled my upbringing because like I said, my father was in the army and the nature of being an army child is that you move every 12 to 18 months. So I went to six different primary schools um, just because we moved so frequently. Uh, and then I um, was just at the one secondary school, but we moved house a number of times within that period. But I think what it did for me was it, um, it gave me the, I guess the skills in some ways to kind of, to find out, or how to adapt into different environments. So, uh, you know, I'd, I'd turn up to a new school and I'd have to find new friends and I'd have to find where I fit in and, um, you know, which which group of people I wanted to hang out with and which ones would be in the right direction, which ones are maybe gonna be the ones to avoid, all that type of thing. And, uh, and you, you find your voice within um, different, uh, you know, um, social groups and that type of thing. So that upbringing, I think, really helped me with my professional life and I think it also, um, you know, after two, three, four years or whatever it is in my professional life, I feel like I need to change because that's kind of what I was used to growing up. So, um, 
when you ask, is it was it hard? I, I don't know really because it was that's all I that's all I knew growing up. So for me, I love my childhood. I loved um, everything I was able to, um, you know, experience with my brothers and my family and stuff. And uh, I think it's held me in good stead in um, in my adult life. But um, then when I went to France, I, France was difficult because you know it's a completely different culture. You're so far away from your close family and friends. Different, um, language. different language. Yeah. yeah, exactly right. And then, you know, and you're going to a team that are, I was going to a team that had already had a great deal of success and they had um, some amazing plays in there. That uh, so straight away there was, you know, there's expectation and but on yourself to make sure that you um you know you're worthy of your position and you don't what what I didn't want is the guys that I'd played against and had respected for so many years to think less of me now as a team as a teammate. As, in, compared to how they thought of me as an opposition player. So that really drove me to make sure I was at my best. Um, but the one thing that helped me a lot was having Matt Guido and his family in France. So as you, as you might know, I'm really close with Matt, yeah. but I spent sort of five nights a week with him and his wife, Bianca. And then, you know, he had two boys, Levi and Kai, when, he was, when they were based over there. And so I was really lucky to kind of be involved in their family um, for those four years that I was there in Toulon. And I think that really helped me. Um, be comfortable off the field, which then helps you um, play well on the field. Yeah, so you've played for the Reds, the Western Force and the Waratahs in Australia, and you've also played for Toulon in France. What's yeah. the difference in training style and play style from the two different like competitions? Well, I mean, I, I think the, the straight away the biggest difference with Super Rugby and Top 14 and, uh, and that Heineken Cup stuff is, is the speed of the game. Um, and I say that a lot of that's based around the conditions that you play in, but also the, the, the length of the season. So in, in France, you play 42 games in a year. So one, only one game a week. But, so it starts in, uh, in August and it, does, it goes all the way through until June, uh, mid-June is the end of the season. So it's a really long season. And for those reasons, I don't think you can play at the pace that Super Rugby does. You know, I think they, they play maybe 22 games or something. Like, I don't think that they would be able to play at that level and that speed for 42 weeks of the year. So um, I think with that in mind, it, it's a bit more of a... And also the fact that it's uh, Northern Hemisphere where they put a huge importance on set-piece, slowing down the game, the kicking for territory, um, field goals, penalty goals and all that type of thing. So um, I found... And maybe this is a bit more of, more of an excuse because I was getting into you know, the, the wine and the cheese and the, and the baguettes, but I felt I could put a, a few more kilos on in France because it was a slower game, but it was a bit more combative. So I had to be more physical. Um, I had to be able to win those, um, those contact areas more. Um, whereas in, when I came back for Wallabies or when I was at Super Rugby, I, it was a real focus on speed, agility, um, top end speed, that type of thing to play, at, but also the ability to repeat those efforts at that speed as well because the game's so much faster. So um, the training methods in Toulon, because I said we, like I said, we had some great players, but a lot of us were, were aging players. I was a bit older um, and we had a great coach in Bernard Laporte and he, he didn't make us do any contact training. For the four years I was there, I didn't have to attempt one tackle or a breakdown in four years of training because he said there's so many games, there's 42 games a year which gives us 42 opportunities to get injured. We don't need to create more opportunities at training. And, but that being said, there was an expectation on each player to make sure you turned up mentally, to, to, um, you know, to turn up physically and, and uh, execute your roles in defence and at breakdowns and that type of thing. The moment that we, should, we fell short of that, 
would be the time that he would have made us do some some contact. But you know, when you're lining up and there's Buffy's both are or Chris Marsoli and these really tough mean guys, you don't really want to miss out on your role in, in defence because I think they'd give me a bit of a hiding. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to do no contact at training. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good, right? He's so good. What would you? What do you prefer though? Going back, like playing. Like, sorry, uh, did you prefer the Super Rugby methods or the France methods? Hold on, buddy. Just wait one second, sir. Did you prefer the France style or the Australian style more? Um, you know, I, I think I, I needed the Australian style at that point in my career because I think if I started um, my career if, with the training methodology like I had in France, I wouldn't have developed... Um, you know, the, just the basic skills around um, playing the game and the necessity of working really hard. Um, you know, those little one percenters working, getting up off the ground, all the stuff that I suppose you don't necessarily see in highlight reels is, you know, the stuff that you, within the team, you credit each other for, whether it's like someone working really hard in a kick chase or someone working really hard to get around the corner and, def- and fill the defensive line. Those little things that never gets too much credit in commentary or in highlight reels and that type of thing, but are really important for the success of your team. I think they're, they're the types of um, um, aspects of the game that I learned in Australian rugby and was really lucky to have learned that through um, my early years when I had, you know, the senior players back when I first started was the Gregans, the Jeremy Pauls, George Smiths and those guys that put a really big emphasis on it and made you really accountable at training as well as because my first Wallaby coach was Eddie Jones, so he was yeah. he was um, pretty strict around those those things as well. And the moment that you missed out on your role or you took a bit of an easy, you know, a shortcut or a bit of an easy decision, that you'd get called out for it. Whereas I don't feel like they had that when I was in France, um, whether it be for an older player like myself at the time or for some of the younger guys as well. So I feel like it was really, I was really lucky that I was, I started the early part of my career well the majority of my career in Australian rugby and was able to forge those habits. And so that even when I went to France where the training probably perhaps wasn't as difficult uh, or as strict, but I'd already implemented and I already sort of um, gained those habits and I was able to still execute it when I was um, in those environments. Yeah. What was the experience like playing in the World Cup for the Wallabies? Um, yeah, I mean, it was... Look, it's amazing. Once I, once I was playing rugby and it was especially once you start playing for the Wallabies, the next thing that you want to do is play at a World Cup. And, and so I had three opportunities to play at a World Cup, um, but I had three different, really different... What was the experience like at the World Cup in 2015, uh, in your World Cups? Yeah, so I was lucky to have um, three opportunities at World Cups, but they're all three really different experiences. So in 2007... Uh, I was a young 23-year-old that was just sort of forging my way into the team and I started against Japan on the bench and then worked my way into the starting team for a couple of games and then was actually dropped for my really close mate, Adam Ashley Cooper, for the quarterfinals against England, uh, at which we bowed out um, in that game, uh, unfortunately. But then in 2011, um, you know, I was probably a little bit more of a... um, you know, I was at that point 27. We had a really young team going to 2011, but I I dislocated my ankle in yeah, April sure against Queensland Reds, um, which really sort of halted, um, derailed my um, my campaign going into that World Cup. But luckily enough, I 
um, I was picked by Robbie Deans. Um, I'd only played 20 minutes for Randwick going into that World Cup. Um, and, I mean, I think in hindsight, I, I just didn't have the opportunity to do enough training in my, um, in my ankle, but also into my legs as well. So I think a few games into that, um, that World Cup, I went to pick a ball up off the ground against Russia and tore my hamstring. Um, and was on the plane the next day, had to go home. So um, I got replaced by, I think Lachlan Turner came over for me. Um, and so I, you know, I watched the rest of the World Cup from home and um, you're not allowed to stay in, in the country uh, once you get injured because once you're replaced, you have to go home. So, but then, then I went to France and I thought, okay, well, that's, that's my World Cup experience is done. And then uh, myself, and I think more so because of the performances of a guy named Matt Gitto um, was really strong. Michael Checker started looking at um, Gits and then also other, other players that were overseas. And they changed those rules to allow people who had played over 60 games for the Wallabies to be picked. And I was lucky enough to, to be one of the guys alongside uh, Matt Ditto to come home and play in that World Cup. And again, I started uh, that World Cup not in the starting team. And um, unfortunately for Rob Horn, he got injured. And then I, I got an opportunity to start and then held on to my spot throughout the remainder of that World Cup. And uh, that was just a really unique scenario, that one, because I don't think anyone really gave us too much of a chance. Um, and then we got there and it was just like, um, it was probably the best team environment that I'd been involved in. One where we kind of kept it really quite insular because we were, we were you know, we were copying it a fair bit um, externally from media and everywhere else. But then we started to kind of put out these performances where we started to win people over and they, you know, they really sort of started to, believe in us the, the way that we believed in ourselves um, and it was really cool to kind of see that that shift and and that support get right behind us and you look unfortunately we um, we fell one result short we lost the All Blacks in the final but um, yeah I mean that was a, still a really special time in my career and one that I'll remember for a long time. Yeah that 2015 World Cup what was the experience like during that final the week of it getting ready all that? Yeah, look, I think Michael Checker does a really good job in trying to make it um, understanding that it's not like every other game, but still trying to make as much as we can just like every other game. Um, you know, there's was, was no point trying to kid ourselves like by saying, oh, it's just another game because it's, you know, it's the World Cup final and if you win, you're the world champions. But so there's no point in players or coaches say, oh, it's just another game, same thing week in, week out. Because in the players' minds, there's going to be that kind of, well, it's not just like every other game, you know. You don't want to sort of second-guess that. So, Czech was really good in terms of, you know, managing our mentality going into that game and um, and really just sort of soaking it in. We had uh, we were trying to limit distractions because obviously that week, a lot of people had um, family and friends and partners fly in from uh, from Australia to, uh, to be there to experience it with us. So, there was managing accommodation and tickets and all that type of thing, which is always, um, you know, can be a distraction, was trying to limit those distractions and um, the support staff of the Wallabies are really good at trying to help everyone manage that and everyone feel really comfortable and, and accommodated. Um, but then obviously it was all about the game. And so we, uh, we did a lot about our game plan, picking apart the All Blacks game plan as much as we could uh, and going and really buying into the game plan that we thought was going to go out there and, and win us that game. And I remember going to bed the night before um, and I was, rooming, I was rooming with Gets, and we just sort of... I genuinely went to bed that night thinking that this time tomorrow night that we were going to be world champions. And I think that's the one thing, like this... You, you can't hope to be world champions. You can't... Um, you know, there's... 
you can't rely on luck and those types of things. Like you've genuinely got to believe and, and rightly or wrongly, um, you know, some people might argue that it was false or whatever, but I genuinely and myself along with all my teammates, we genuinely believe that we're good enough to go out there and do it. Now, as it turned out, the All Blacks were just too good for us, but um, you know, you're never going to go out there and achieve anything unless you genuinely believe in what you're doing. And, uh, and, you know, we were there, but we just came up against a pretty, pretty uh, red hot All Blacks team. Yeah, that All Blacks game, that, that hurt for everyone in Australia and obviously players. Do you yeah. still have all your World Cup medals, like the uh, 2015 one? Do you still have that? Yeah, I think, uh, well, my parents do. They're, all, they're in my parents' place. I don't, I don't have anything, uh, any, any sort of memorabilia or jerseys and things. They're all with my folks. Um, at some point when I get my own place and I stop moving around, um, and I settle down and, and you know build a, a place of my own that I want to stay in. Um, then I'll I'll probably get some of those things. But um, yeah, I've got like a bit of a cabinet at my parents' place where you know some of my most treasured things like you know the, the cap that you get for your first game and um, for your fiftieth and and then you also get a cap for each World Cup you played in. And so there's a little cabinet with all those things and the ball from the first game I played in, um, the boots from the last game I played in. Um, so, yeah, the World Cup medals and some of the, the championship medals we won over in France. So those types of things I, I hold on to. But, um, yeah, a lot of my jerseys and stuff are just uh, in a storage unit somewhere. Yeah. What was it like? What's it like being a commentator at the run and, like, working on analysis and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, look, analysis was always something I quite enjoyed, um, picking apart the game and, um, and just understanding what it is that, whether I'm, whether I'm in it, what we're trying to do, how you try and manipulate defences, uh, defensive patterns and systems and things, um, or defenders just individually as well, and, and trying to pick up on traits and, and uh, different habits of different players so that you can try and expose them. Um, and that was basically what I just had to transfer into my commentary, but then speak about it in a way that the listener or the viewer can, can understand it. Um, and then, but, you know, I understood that I... I'm not as polished as the guys that I was working with, the guys like Tim Horan and Kafer, and these guys have been doing it for 20 years who, um, it's not only about what you say, but it's how you say it. And I think they're, they're really good at, um, you know, how they, how they project their voice and how they create um, excitement and atmosphere and stuff like that. But, um, and then the one thing I was trying to bring was my intimate knowledge of the current group because I'd played with them uh, I knew well, I played with the majority of them. There's some young guys that I hadn't played with, but um, played with the majority of them. I knew, I knew a lot about each of the players and what they were trying to do or how they were trying to do it. And so, again, I was just trying to transfer that knowledge across in my commentary. And look, it's difficult sometimes because sometimes you've got to be negative because what they're doing on the field is not necessarily that good. And you've got to speak about it in a way that, um, you know, is honest. But then at the same time, you know, these are some of my closest friends and I've had to, had to go out there and bag them uh, publicly on TV or something. So there's, there's an element of wanting to, wanting to maintain friendships. But I think the one thing that all the players that I've played with probably understand, I hope they understand, is that um, I would always speak the truth when I was in team environments and in team meetings. It was never anything personal. It was just it was about us getting better because I think Feedback's the only way to, to get better, whether it's um, from coaches, teammates, or even out externally as well. Um, feedback is, is critical in, in getting better. Um, and so one thing that I try, I, I wrote down a few different things, in a, in a, in a, um, I guess in a diary that I used to read before I went on, every, uh, before I went on air every time for commentary was, um, 
never say anything on TV, TV that I wouldn't say to their face. So that was something I always tried to live by when I was commentating was not to try and give them a little sucker punch, you know, with like a cheap shot in what I was talking about. If, um, you know, just because it wasn't to their face. So I'd always try and maintain that um, level of honesty that if I said something on TV, I'd be happy enough to back it up and speak to them one-on-one and um, explain why I thought that and, and that type of thing. And I think because of that, um, uh, yeah, I guess I maintained some friendships, but also, um, you know, had some of those robust discussions with some players because they didn't, they felt maybe it was a bit unfair. But once we had conversations about it and explained, then, um, yeah, I guess then we understood. Yeah, I get that. What is, what's your greatest passion outside of rugby? Oh, I mean, it's, it's tough, right, mate? Because, you know, I mean, I retired a few years ago and it's, um, you know, and then it's thinking about, okay, what am I going to do next? Um, and people, people would ask me, what are you passionate about? But the one thing I was so passionate about was rugby. So everything I thought about was, um, it kind of paled in comparison a little bit to, um, to what I was doing. So I had to find some new hobbies um, and I had to find some things that were filling to fill voids of things that I was missing from when I was playing. So um, one thing I felt like I was missing was the application of a skill. So, you know, every day when you pick up the footy, you go to the park or at training, yeah. you're trying to just learn perfect pass, the spiral, the kick, or it's just repetition. Right? It's that part of the brain where you're just doing repetition after repetition and trying to master it. Never do you get perfect at it, but you're trying, it's the pursuit of that perfection, right? So I was missing that. But the other thing I was missing was the adrenaline you get when you're running out onto a field or when you're playing against, um, you know, another team or another player. And so I was missing those two things. So I wanted to try and find something that would give me adrenaline spark, but also the application of a skill. So I started to learn how to fly a helicopter. So, oh, yeah. yeah, so I've, um, so that's really difficult. There's like, there's a controller for each hand, but also for both mm-hmm. feet as well. So there's a lot yeah. going on with the skill and with um, trying to understand it all with your brain and that type of thing, it's quite exhausting. But I'd also get an adrenaline spike because I'm not, I'm, I'm pretty scared of heights, if I'm being honest. So when I was up there and I'm trying to learn, and because you're only in a small little um, aircraft when you're learning, you'd bounce around quite a lot and I'd lose my stomach and I'd get frightened. And um, So, yeah, I found that, that that filled the two voids that I was missing from playing. Um, and I've, I've picked up about 25 hours of, um, of learning time now. Um, still got plenty more to go, but I'm, I'm quite enjoying that at the moment. Yeah. How long have you been doing that for now? Um, well, about six months last year, but then yeah. I stopped over the summer just because of all the bushfires and the smoke in the air and that type of thing. Yeah. Um, so I couldn't get up, haven't been up in the air for a number of months now, but um, looking to get back into it. So yeah. I'd say I went pretty hard for six months and then I've had a, about four or five months off, but looking to get back into it now. When you were going pretty hard, how frequently did you do it? Uh, I was doing at least two three sessions a week so it varied sometimes um so in terms of your log book it you only um, logged how many minutes you're actually up in the air um, yeah. how many minutes the engine was going so sometimes there'd be theory or they'd be i'd go in and i have to understand what it was we're trying to achieve and the theory of it and then we go out and uh and practice it but it would it'd be sort of two or three times a week but the other the only reason i didn't do more is because it's a pretty expensive hobby so yeah. um uh, i had to kind of try and t- space it out a little bit yeah, I, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure I know this answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Who's the sure. worst teammate to room with through your career and why? Uh, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, 
towards the back end, I used to just be able to pick my, my roommate. So I, I was always mostly with um, Matt Guido with the international teams and I was with Kirtley Beal a lot with the Waratahs. But I think maybe the worst in a good way was Wendell Saylor when I first started. Oh, yeah. So he was the winger for the Reds when I was there yeah. as well and also with the Wallabies. But because he was you know, such a big superstar and he was on so much money and I was only just sort of starting out, he, um, he would use his, I guess, his experience and seniority to kind of make me do things. Um, we'd often take a, a PlayStation on tour and we'd play FIFA or something. And we'd get 50 pound when we go over to England for, for um, two dinners or something that week. And 50 pound for me at that time was a lot of money and 50 pound for Gwendolyn wasn't very much. So he would say, mate, I'll play you in FIFA for your 50 pound. And I go, oh no, like, I kind of need it. You know, I could space this out for five meals, let alone two. Um, he's like, no, 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 we're playing kid, let's go. And he'd start and then I'd beat him, right? So I'd get his 50 quid. And then he'd go, okay, double or nothing. I'm like, no, I just want to go to bed. He's like, no, no, we're playing. Like, he wouldn't give me an option not to. And then I beat him again. So then I've got 100 quid. And then he would just keep playing me until he won. And then as soon as he won, he would never give me a chance to win it back. He'd just go, okay, the big Dell's going to sleep now. And he'd go to sleep. So it was always, um, it was always on his terms. Um, and, you know, he'd be like, oh, Drew, big Dell needs this or big Dell needs that. And so I'd have to go and get it for him. But he, um, he's a very close friend of mine. Um, but he was just showing me the ropes and he, he understood that, uh, and I, he understood, but I also understood that he was a senior player and if he wanted something, I got it for him. Yeah. How many, when did he beat you finally? After uh, how much money? Yeah. Well, so, well, in the end, I only lost my 50 quid each time, but, um, it was every time because he would just keep playing me, keep playing me and keep playing me until <laughs> he won and then would never give me a chance to win it back. So, um, yeah, I, I guess he, he kind of, that was the experience of being an older player. You know, he could just do it. He knew that I was never going to fight back. I, I didn't have, I couldn't go to the coach and dob on him or anything. So I just had to, um, I had to suck it up and, and just, um, and just learn from him. Yeah. Do you still have a PlayStation and play a bit of FIFA? Yeah, I do actually, especially now through isolation, uh, yeah. just finding different ways to kind of, um, I guess, stop the boredom and, and keep busy. Uh, I've been working out a fair bit, but, yeah, I've got. Uh, look, I'm not very good. I'm not much of a gamer. I definitely only play the sporting games. I, yes, I don't play. Um, what is it? Call of Duty or anything like that because I can't use the two controllers where you move forward, but then you with your gun. So like I'm part of the in the background that's kind of going like this. I can't. <laughs> yeah, I, I just can't. Um, can't control it. But uh, yeah, so I just stick to the rugby game, uh, yeah, FIFA, basketball. Yeah, yeah, basketball. those types of like the EA sports games. That's all I stick yeah. to. What rugby game? Um, I don't know. The one that was quite old, but then I, I've just found one because I've just pulled it out. Um, I didn't have it since I was in... I haven't played it since I was in France. And so it's just holed up in one of my um, storage units. And uh, there's one that I think maybe 2014... Rugby 14 or 16, maybe. Anyway, was it Rugby Challenge? I'm not too sure. It's got the one with all the top 14. So when I was over in France, you could oh, yeah. play the team and that type of thing. So we had a pretty good side. So we, yeah. it was always fun to play with that. I've one. got this one, Rugby Challenge 3, and it has Wallabies, Super Rugby. It has pretty oh, no. much all the teams. And You're you in there. Right? Go all right. Not the, not the <laughs> greatest, but I'm all right. Oh, that's all right. Nice. Yeah. What's the best word that can describe you right now? The best what, sorry? Word that can describe you right now. Oh, 
isolated. <laughs> um, mate, I'm doing this uh, self-isolation like many others, but I'm doing this one on my own. So, uh, yeah, yeah I'm, I live by myself, which makes it um, pretty lonely at times during this time. Um, uh, so, yeah, it's nice to sit here and chat to you because there's some yeah. days where I don't really get to chat to anyone. Um, but, no, I think outside of that, um, I don't know, one, one word. Um, Look, I'm just, look, mate, I'm just excited for the next challenge. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not, well, I wasn't commentating with Super Rugby this year. Um, I actually signed to go back and play rugby in New York, uh, up in uh, in the United States. So there's a oh, yeah. there's a pretty new competition called the Major League Rugby up there. You going to play yeah. in that still? Yeah, so they, um, they offered me, uh, I guess, a deal to go up there and play again. Look, I haven't played for three years, but... Uh, I've been training pretty hard to make sure that I'll be in a position where I can play. And How long's the contract? Well, a two-year deal, which is good because um, this first year has been uh, cancelled. So at least I get. Oh, you take out. that. Yeah, and there was a, uh, for me. It was like again, I, I just I look for new opportunities, and like like we've spoken about, I don't mind moving around and experiencing different cultures and putting myself in different environments. So when the opportunity came up to live in a, an amazing city like New York, I was like, yeah, let's do it. And um, and if, if it meant that I had to get myself back into a shape to, to play again, then, uh, then I was going to do it. And so I'd been working really hard and, and I literally got my visa approved. And then that weekend, then this, um, you know, the, the coronavirus and COVID-19 yeah. kind of lockdown laws and that sort of thing, ha um, came into play. So I've, uh, I've just had to put that on hold for a little bit, but, yeah. um, yeah, I'm just looking, I'm excited for the next challenge. Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, well, okay. how many games yeah, I mean, are you going to play? What's that, sorry? How many games are in the season? Uh, it's, it's pretty similar to uh, Super Rugby. So it goes from about February to June. Um, yeah. So it won't, be, it won't be played this year. It'll, be played, it'll just start again in February next year. Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I kind of... It was, we were waiting to announce anything until I got my visa and everything had come through. So it kind of... And then, you know, obviously um, isolation and like that sort of thing happened. So it was kind of being pretty quiet about it. But... Um, yeah, so Matt, I was going to go up there and, and play, and I still will go up there as soon as yeah. as soon as they re um, relax the borders and, and we can um, travel internationally again. And obviously, New York are going through a pretty tough time with this coronavirus. So yeah. once everything, once they're back on their feet and everything everything's safe again, then uh, then I'll get up there and face myself in New York and <laughs> and uh, pull the boots back on, mate. Yeah, have you announced it yet? Um, I mean, yeah, like I've spoken about it. Like I, I haven't, you know, like there's no sort of I'm not going to sort of call a press conference or anything but um i've spoken about it on uh on another guy's podcast in, in the uk I, um a guy used to play for scotland um tim hamilton we've spoken about it there's been a couple of articles but i guess because there's no no games in the immediate future there's um it's been pretty quiet but hopefully uh hopefully i can get out there and and i don't know contribute in some ways some positive ways hopefully some <laughs> positive ways uh to, to our team and then um yeah and then we'll see how we go what advice would you give a 12-year-old today? Um, mate, firstly, just got to find what you're passionate about, right? Um, and then just, you know, if it's, if it's what you want to do or if, it's, if it gives you happiness and fulfilment and enjoyment, then do what you have to to make sure that you expose yourself as much as you possibly can. Like there are times when I was a young guy and I had to say no to parties or I had to say no to going here and visiting friends. But it was an easy yeah. choice for me because I was passionate about it and it was something that I loved. And, and if it was something that I wanted to try and pursue as a, as a career, then they're the sort of the sacrifices you have to make. But I think most importantly, um, 
you've got to you've got to you've got to find the happiness in it, right? So you got to you got to find enjoyment, the happiness. You got to surround yourself with people that can kind of give you that as well, um, and do it for the right reasons. You've got to make sure that because what you don't want to do is when it starts to feel like a chore or like a job, then all of a sudden the passion and the, and the, the excitement and the fun goes out of it, and uh, and you just won't find yourself enjoying it, and then you'll just um, you know you'll that it won't be a passion of yours for too much longer. So. Um, you've always got to find whether it's just in the training, the, the monotony of, of repetition or, um, you know, whatever it is, whatever level you're at, you've just got to find the happiness and the enjoyment of it because um, yeah. that's when you're going to commit 100% to it for as long as you can. Yeah. Thanks for coming in today, Drew. No worries, mate. Thanks for the call and thanks for reaching out. All good. Hey, guys, that was Drew Mitchell. As you guys heard, he's coming out of retirement to play for New York in one of the competitions starting up in the U.S., Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Don't forget to go subscribe to me on YouTube, MG Talk Sports S. Go visit my website, www.mgtalksportsss.com. Also, go to my go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to me, MG Talk Sports S. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast.